2: Where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ.
4: In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century.
1: Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together.
4: Yep, here we go. Uh, <laughs> welcome back, friends, to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, or if it's your first time listening, Uh, Mm -hmm. welcome to, for the first time, the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I hope you'll check out some of our back, uh, episodes and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Uh, Christy, Matt, uh, I have a question for you. It is another, this is, um, last week we talked about Valentine's Day, a year, uh, like a year, sorry. A year. (laughs) 2022. Late. It does come around every year. No, a week late. So uh, we recorded uh, right around Valentine's Day, but then mm-hmm. you know the episode didn't air until Fat Tuesday, which was last Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, Fat Tuesday is the day that we are recording this. And so in the spirit of asking what fancy uh, party things Christy has going on for Fat Tuesday, I'm going to ask you that. So, do you have? Is there Fat Tuesday? Is that a big deal in your house as well? It is
1: a big deal. It is every (laughs) Uh, holiday is a big deal, but I don't dress up for this one. Okay, I don't don't know costumes. Okay, Um, but I did. The kids started off today with donuts.
4: Okay, yeah.
1: And then tonight we we have a tradition of of having pancakes on Fat Tuesday Uh as dinner, and we like put Cool Whip and sprinkles and the whole thing, and eat all the sugar and um, enjoy. So, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna partake.
4: Love it. Mm-hmm. Very good.
1: You guys do anything? Oh, wait, we also have a King's cake. Oh, yeah. Except for this year's King's brownies.
4: <laughs> King's brownies. Are you going to put but, a little baby in there? Yeah, a
1: little baby, whoever gets it, you know.
4: A year of good luck. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yay. Yay. So, what do you guys do?
4: Well, we don't do anything in, uh, in particular, but tonight uh, I did decide, I do the meal planning and um, grocery shopping and cooking in my house. And so I decided tonight we're going to have a nice steak Oh so we're just doing a nice steak with some wine uh, before Lent. So That's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How about how about you, Matt? Fat Tuesday? Any any big
2: deal? Yeah, basically from Christmas (laughs) until now I just let myself go and get as big (laughs) Mm -hmm. as I possibly can. Yeah. So that fat so that Fat Tuesday is is the largest the largest I am of all the year. I think that's how you're supposed to do it. That's pretty appropriate. Mm-hmm. The word fat is in there. So. Uh, no, I don't have, we don't have any Fat Tuesday traditions. In fact, I had to remind my family this morning, uh, like, happy Fat Tuesday. And not only my kids and my wife didn't re- remember, but our neighbors were like, oh, yeah, it's Fat Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to stay up late and watch a basketball game tonight. I guess that'll be my, f- that's, how, that's how middle-aged men do Fat yes, Yeah. <laughs> Before
4: you get back to sleep. You're going to fast oh, from sleep. <laughs> uh, just a total of it. Do you guys have a service?
1: Fasting. Do you have a service tomorrow? Do you do Ash Wednesday mm-hmm. service at your oh, church? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We do yeah. too. But we're expecting big snowstorm. And so oh, yeah. there was I've a whole talk today about if it gets cancelled because of the snowstorm, what are we gonna do? And you know what we're doing? What are you doing? We're doing Ash Thursday. <laughs> 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 I just thought that was so funny. Uh, that I hope funny. it still happens tomorrow. Yeah. I hope the snow the storm doesn't yeah. whatever, but I yeah. thought that
2: was funny. I think that's great. I think yeah. that the flexibility yeah, that is great. It'd be hard. Yeah, it works. I think it'd be hard in our tradition to get away with, uh, Ash Thursday.
3: Right.
4: Probably would be. It'd be like, you know what? Yeah. It's a bummer. Actually in our, in our tradition, uh, early morning and like, like Ash Wednesday services at all hours of the day, including like 7am oh, yeah. are fairly common. And so yep. hmm. it would probably be for, if we were getting a big snowstorm tomorrow, it'd be just like, we'll go to the early service you know? Right. So our church isn't doing, our church is only doing one service at noon, but, um, but there's a lot of other, you know, churches that are, they've got services like three services, you know? So
1: yeah. anyway. All right. We'll see. We'll,
4: we'll see. see what yeah. And, and so apologies, dear listener for this very late. I know it's, it's already lent for you and, uh, you're listening to this uh, late, but mm-hmm. that's now our tradition. I guess we talk about the holidays one week late.
2: This is the anti-evergreen content. (laughs) Do not replicate this if you're trying to uh, do it by the book. Well, we are wrapping up today our conversation uh, for now, Uh, we think for now, not forever, about uh, therapy and our experience with it and some of the myths that have surrounded it. And now, last week, we talked about that uh, we promised uh, to put it all together you know, how how do we still need Jesus if we have a therapist, right? So we've kind of debunked the whole, if you have Jesus, you don't need a therapist. But I think part of uh, what we're finding, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit today, is that there is a constructive, reintegrative thing that needs to happen, you know? Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah.
2: Um, So maybe we can start by just saying, like, some of these myths, some of the ways we're Therapy is kept out of the church is because there's some anxiety. Yeah. There's some Christian anxiety that that if we get into therapy, mm-hmm. that either it disagrees with our Christian tradition or it makes our Christian tradition obsolete. Um yeah, are you guys familiar with this? And how how does this show up? How have you heard this show up? Yeah. I mean,
4: it is interesting Uh, for me anyway, I think it's an interesting thing to think about. This is some, one of the ways this shows up is like the controversy over like, um, you know, some more conservative folks will say, all you need is like biblical counseling. The Bible's all you need, Mm -hmm. you know, for your mental health. And I was just thinking about how um, we don't often in other arenas where medicine or research or, you know, like sort of, uh, human knowledge is concerned. We don't oftentimes think of these things as contrasting, right? So we don't, we don't have a crisis about how to integrate. Um, like how do we integrate our faith with indoor plumbing? Right. Like it's not a, you know, we're not, it's not a question, right? Or yes. how, how do we, or even like pain management, like most of us don't have a problem taking an ibuprofen if we got a headache, but like, we don't think of that as like a crisis of like, wait, uh, how does Jesus fit into my life if I'm going to take ibuprofen for pain? <laughs> um, but we do with this stuff, and so I think that 's an interesting thing mm-hmm. for me and i don 't know if that has to do with because it 's it 's like new, newer maybe than pain management, for example hmm. um, or <laughs> if it has to do with like what we 're talking about we 're talking about therapy and mental health is like matters of the soul, yeah, yeah, and so I think there 's this overlap where it 's like, well, hey, I just got a headache i 'm going to take a pill, or you know modern plumbing 's great you know i i 'd love that i don 't have to go to the outhouse anymore. But I think when we're dealing with matters of the soul, there can be this like overlap and it ends up feeling fuzzy to us and it feels like, I don't know, it feels, yeah, there is some some anxiety there.
1: Hmm. You guys, let me just tell you that Hmm. this has to do with what we're talking about. But my kids, I have six kids and they have shoes everywhere in the garage Hmm. and it's like drives me bananas. I've seen this garage, yes. Yeah, you know, you can Mm -hmm. hardly walk to the door because there's shoes and coats falling off of whatever. (laughs) Anyway, Paul got all of these bins and he put names on them. Like here's London's bin and here's Kira's bin and all of your shoes go in this bin. And this is like your bin. You have to put all your stuff in there. And I love it. (laughs) But when it comes to matters of the soul, um, I think many Christians are still very compartmentalized and um, they don't see like us as whole beings Um, Hmm. and so they, like, here's your mind and here's your emotions and here's your heart and here's your, and like each has a bin instead of realizing Hmm. we're a whole being. And it's more like an ecosystem where if there's something going on in my emotions that needs attention, it's going to affect my mind. It's going to affect my heart. It's going to affect my relationships. And I think maybe that is where, some anxiety comes because people haven't maybe gotten on board with the whole ecosystem of the soul. (laughs)
2: Mm.
1: They're still like in compartmentalized like mindset of shoe bins. Mm.
2: Interesting, Christy. So is that, is that, is that connected to the fact that like, you know, before the invention of like CT scans and X-rays and things like this, like uh, in neurology and biology, like, we would talk about humans having a soul mm-hmm. as some capacity within inside the body, right? Mm-hmm. And now, now um it seems like medical science has explained the things we used to need the soul for, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. are, are you saying that that's that's kind of, like we had this compartmentalized where there's mind over here and there's heart here and there's, the soul is this. Are you saying that there, we just need a new imagination for how these relate?
1: Yeah, I would agree with your friend Matt, who who does soul care. Um, I forget his last name. Alexander. Alexander. He, oh, Alexander, yeah. he uh, okay. says, uh, I think I'm trying to quote him, but he says something like, we don't have a soul, we are a soul. Mm. And, and, and a, a, yeah. a, a better holistic picture of who we are is a soul. It's not like we have this separate part. Mm. Um, and so... I think I would be in that camp of agreeing with him in that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So then soul is a, soul is a conceptual metaphor to describe part of what it means to be human.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Rather yeah. than, rather than a descriptive, um, fact of a discrete part of your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I, I, that question makes me think of, um, there's a kind of a biblical scholar theologian that I follow named Richard Beck. Um, he's got a great substack, stack, but um, he's, he's walking through a series right now called the enchanted imagination. And mm. he, he talks about this shift that took place in the West from like the disenchantment. Right. And so yeah. I think there, there is like the scientific revolution and all that kind of stuff. It did seem to disenchant our, like what we thought was happening inside the body for example and then you know that now there's like oh it's that's just you know neurons firing and it's making you feel this way and you we can actually manipulate your feelings by pushing on this part of your brain and like all of those kinds of things i think did tend to disenchant us and and perhaps like bring about a crisis of faith like wait a second is 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 you know is the material world does it sort of just explain everything that we used to think of as holy or, you know, sacramental even, you know, that, that kind of thing. And I think, I think there's something about that, Hmm. that for people of faith, there is this anxiety of like, wait a second. Like if I can take a pill and it helps my depression, like, does it, it, like, does, is God real? (laughs) You know, like, like it does, those questions are together for, for a lot of people, I think because of, because of that sort of disenchanting move that science sort of caused, yeah, in our culture.
2: So if we embrace science, does it eliminate the space that God would inhabit, or our need for God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think rather than just saying "get over that anxiety" or "here's 16 facts to alleviate that anxiety," I think it's a I think it's an important anxiety to face and yeah. name. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, maybe we can return at the—well, go, go ahead,
4: Ben. Well, I was just going to say, because I, I think it's important to name it and, and to be honest about it, because honestly, right now, even in like the, the world of—the well, there's the, the scientific world even, mm-hmm. you know, there is a re-enchantment actually happening where yeah. I think people have actually come to the end of what disenchantment can do for them. Like if it's all just atoms and molecules, I think that's—for ha- a lot of people who, who don't even profess any faith— they've said like, well, actually maybe, maybe there's more to it than what science can see and observe. Hmm. And there's, you know, I think this explains all kinds of, you know, there's like this surge in interest in astrology, for example. Um, and I think that has to do with the hunger that we have for there to be more than just molecules, just the material world. Um, so anyway, so I think I think we do well to pay attention to that anxiety. Um because I like, I don't think it's founded that it's necessarily going to be. Yeah, that's at the end of the day, it means that God isn't real. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. it does. Well, but let's return maybe at the end to some people we've learned from. You mentioned Richard Beck. Uh, we'll, we'll name mm-hmm. others who are doing some integrative work. But yeah. um, I was reflecting on some of the ways that m- my exploration of therapy has actually increased my reliance and trust uh, on Jesus and yeah. in Scripture. And I was thinking, uh, I'll name one and then maybe y'all can name others. Um, I was thinking p- particular, um, the way that, in particular, the Psalms, the way that the Psalms, um, Psalmist sometimes talks to themselves, So, the psalmist will say, um, why are you disquieted within me, O my soul? You know, those kinds of things, right? Or put your hope in the Lord. Um, And, uh, you know, I've done some uh, therapeutic work uh, with internal family systems that makes use of this same kind of uh, dialogical mechanism where uh, the therapy is essentially... Matt, the core self of who Matt is, talking to little parts of Matt that are disquieted. Um, and so uh, when when I'm doing this internal family systems work, I'm noticing that uh it's there's a there's a secure, attached, loved part of me engaging other parts of me that are in distress or dis-ease. To bring them back into a place of calm or shalom or, or quiet or comfort. Uh, and that's the same kind of work that I see people doing in Scripture. And so when I so I guess my exploration of internal family systems therapy has been like, oh yeah, this is a, this is a, a genius. This is an intelligence that the scripture doesn't explicitly teach. It just Shows us examples of people operating in it um and that I don't know that's was a deep encouragement to me does that make sense yeah, yeah for sure,
1: yeah, our listeners can't see us, but Ben and I are like nodding our heads as, vigorously. as he's been. vigorously <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because yes, I think sometimes it's like sometimes we have this idea that the Bible like can't relate to my life, yeah uh, especially yeah. like in in things of of therapy and emotions and, or because we've seen it maybe done poorly, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Whatever the reason is, um, I think you're absolutely right, Matt, that there are practices that we see in scripture that are super helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think um, while they don't necessarily spell it out, it's not like it's like Psalm 13 verse 17 says, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But they model it for us. Yeah. And not just in not just in reminding your soul or reminding yourself of truth, but even I found the same to be true in lament, as like expressing the hard emotions and being honest about that. Um, in my own journey of there are times where I just take out a piece of paper and I write out, like I am grieving over this and this and this, and I just write it all out where there's no screen there's no like you know making sure i'm saying it all nice it's just my heart coming out in words on a page um and being able to lament and grieve and be sad with all the stuff that's in front of me and we see that modeled throughout scripture um as like a healthy expression of how to do that because if we don't do it it's going to come out sideways somewhere um, to my spouse to my kids to my coworker um and so going to god with what is in there and saying, here's my heart, um, the sad parts, the grieving parts Mm -hmm. the the anxious parts, the, you know, um, and kind of laying it before him and being honest in that has been a practice and something that I found that my counselor, you know, who's not a, it's not a Christian counseling practice. She happens to be a believer, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, encourages me to do, but then I see it in scripture as well. Yeah.
4: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think I've found much the same, that same thing that you guys are talking about where there's, you know, some practice that I've been introduced to that it, I see it reflected in the kinds of things, you know, in the Psalms, or I see it reflected in scripture in some way, uh, or another. Um, and it, it actually helps me. It's not like, oh, now, now this is legitimated because I see it in the scripture. Um, although it, it is some of that it's like, okay, this is a, you know, this is something that is perhaps a practice that's been present in human cultures for a long time. It's just now we call it mindfulness, or now we call it yeah. you know, internal family systems, or whatever. And there's a there's different names and conceptions uh, that we have of it. Um, but I think it also has helped me to sort of it. Sometimes it helps me to see something that I wasn't seeing previously, right? Yeah. To to understand, for example, like you know, concepts of about shame. Or um, it, it helps to understand how shame works allows me to read the scriptures in a way of saying like, oh, I can actually notice how shame works in this story now mm-hmm. um, in, in ways that I was unable to see before. And I think that interplay between like the, wor- the world of like just human learning, you know, philosophy, science, math, all of that kind of thing, that's always interacted with scripture. It's not like scripture is its own I don't know, this is a little bit more uh, theoretical maybe, but like scriptures came from a world in which people had assumptions about what it meant to live the good life, mm-hmm. right? Where they had philosophical assumptions, they had metaphysical assumptions and those change over time. Um, and I think it's, it's natural for us to ask questions about, okay, how, how are we reading the text now in light of these new developments in metaphysics or philosophy or science or math or whatever it might be?
0: Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.
4: All right, let's get back into our
2: conversation. I'll I'll share maybe a couple more here. Um, You know, a lot of research and study has been, a lot of things have been written in the last, I don't know, decade or two about shame. Um and about how even anxiety and fear, the ways that they show up in human lives and the damaging work they do. And I think that um, all all of it confirms what Scripture teaches about um, the things that yeah. <clears throat> beset and befall humanity and how God's activity and work seeks to liberate humans from these things. Um, yeah. You know, our, our latest research on how we are hardwired for uh, connection and, and love um, coincides with what we see uh, God desiring for humans in Scripture. Um, so, a lot of the deep neurological, biological, anthropological work that uh, that a lot of therapies are drawing on um, a lot of the things that underground, it's it's you know taught in scripture and confirmed in scripture as either this stuff stinks for these reasons for humans, and this stuff leads to human flourishing and shalom. And so, I guess I guess being present to the anxieties about some of the questions that therapy leaves for uh, how does God fit into this? I think we also have things that confirm our faith and confirm our tradition that. They say the same things as scripture, in fact, you know it's like rediscovering some things that we'd forgotten or not taken seriously that seemed to be assumptions made in scripture so I don't know that that encourages me I don't know if it encourages you guys, but uh, yeah that encourages me,
4: yeah, it definitely encourages me i think I think there's a sense in which um there's a sense in which it if you believe that what God is doing in the world is not just trying to get people to believe some arbitrary facts. You know what I mean? Like if like God's actually interested in humans flourishing, then I think our discoveries about what makes for flourishing, uh, like it doesn't matter how we discover those things, you know, like if we discover them scientifically, well, great. You know, that confirms everything that God wants for humanity. That's fine. You know, like let's, let's go for it. Let's do it. You know, it lines up with, it lines up with what we see God seeking and, and doing in the world. It lines up with the kingdom of God. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're not against us. They're for us. <laughs> you know, is another <laughs> way to put it. Like Jesus um, put it to his disciples.
2: Yeah. I, I'm wondering, um, I was thinking about this in terms of prayer kind of pivot here to some of the ways that therapy has helped me, uh, see maybe things that were lacking in my spiritual practice. Um, I th- I think I think I learned how better to pray by reading non-christians talk about mindfulness meditation.
1: You just freaked out some of our listeners yeah. by saying that. I'm just letting you know.
2: Well, just, just note we're gonna get to tell, we're gonna tell we're, us more. Well, we're gonna get to the body and how it relates to our spirituality. So just get in touch with your body mm-hmm. if you're freaked out right now. Mm-hmm. Um I, I okay, so as a young Christian, I don't know if any can relate, I, I think I think I would approach prayer like I had this uh genie in a bottle in the sky. And my words this is gonna get kind of creepy. My words were how I like rubbed the lamp. And I had to get the right words out and yeah. rub, like, hard enough or long enough to get, you know, the wish granted. You know what yeah. I mean?
4: the thing I want. Um, yeah.
2: And I, re- I realized that, you know, I would enter prayer anxious, and I would leave prayer anxious. Mm-hmm. Like, it was me—now, there's something good about, like, bringing your anxieties to God. But, um— that, that do not be anxious about anything but by prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. That that wasn't what was happening for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to um tend to my anxiety in a way that I could, that I could commune with God. I knew how to be anxious and hurl it at God. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I'm trying to put language on something that, um, I haven't heard many people talk about uh, so as I say that kind of stuff does is that dissimilar to your experience similar to your experience
1: I think it's similar. I think that I kind of looked at prayer like like saying the pledge of allegiance like something yeah. I memorized, <laughs> and yeah. I knew what to do, and I mean you put your hand on your heart and you stand up and you whatever you say the words mm-hmm. um and yeah, now, uh, like, honestly, when you talk about anxiety, a practice that I do often in prayer is I'll take a sheet of paper and I will, like, write out all of the things that are causing anxiety in my life. Hmm. Especially when I'm, you know, like when you, you get to a place where you, like, you can kind of manage your anxiety for a while and then uh-huh. all of a sudden it gets to a place where you're like, well, I cannot manage this. One more thing yeah. happens, I'm going to lose my biscuits, you know, like. Mm-hmm. um, And I just write out all of the things and then. I flip the page over mm-hmm. and I take the pen in my non-dominant hand and I say, okay, spirit, what are you saying to me in all of this? To speak truth to me. I just gave all of the, the angst of my heart out. Tell me something that is true that I can dwell on. Mm-hmm. Um, and often like a word or a sentence comes out cause it's really hard for me to write with my non-dominant hand. Um, and so just something very simple comes out and then it becomes this practice of in the midst of all of this stuff that's still happening in my life, right? I still have six kids. They still have soccer practice. They still have art class. They still, I still have to get dinner. I still whatever the things are. But then I can remind my soul of whatever the truth is that came out on the other side of the page that is from the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so,
2: so can I pause you right there, Christy? Yeah. How— did it occur – how did you realize or come to the idea of writing with your non-dominant hand?
1: Somebody – I don't even remember who asked me to do it one time, but somebody asked me to do it one time. And I was like, what in the world? Because there is something crazy that happens in your yeah. brain, right. your right and left hemisphere of your brain, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and especially if you're using the 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 hand that you're not dominant in, uh, it takes a lot of concentration and focus. Um, and I think
2: this is this is an example of what I was talking about, right? Where neurology has taught us how the brain works, right? Mm -hmm. And how uh, writing with your non-dominant hand taps into other areas of your personhood, your in your brain, your mind, and that can enhance your prayer experience. Totally. Uh Yes, and
1: I walk away from those times. I mean, this is a practice I do probably every like 10 to 14 days. Like it just, mm. it just gets to a place where I'm like, yep, mm. okay, God, here's the stuff on my heart. Um, and I walk away from those times not feeling the amount of anxiety I did when I first started. Yeah. There is yeah. a difference.
4: And it's not like there's a Bible verse that says, you know, if thou, if thou art feeling anxious, thou shalt write with thy <laughs> non-dominant hand. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's not, it's right. not a direct command of scripture. It's not obvious from scripture. Henry
1: right. chapter 37 <laughs> verse five. <laughs>
4: right. Right. But it's something, it's something that science and neurology has learned that actually helps you, helps you pray. Yeah. It helps yeah. you tap into that. That's, that's yeah. a really good example.
2: Yeah. I think Ben, you have thoughts on this? <clears throat> um, Yeah. <laughs>
4: I do. I was just. I was all just right. thinking. I had. I had something. Yeah, I have thoughts. Is that all your question was? Mm-hmm. Just that's whether it. I have thoughts. We're
2: moving on. Binary answer:
4: yes or no. Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, something came to mind as you were talking, Christy, and then I forgot about it because I was enthralled with your story. So I suppose that's that's good. Um, it'll
1: it'll come back to you. Yeah, it'll
4: probably come back to me. Yeah, I d- I definitely have thoughts about thoughts about this. Um, Dang it! I can't think of what it was though. It'll come back to me.
2: Well, I I can just share another one. I think, oh, um, a lot of a lot of our our I, I think this is Christian tradition embedded within Western culture. Has we have a we have a jacked up relationship with our bodies, mm. so part of the I think legacy of the Enlightenment and rationalism, and an over focusing on the cognitive discursive aspects of human personality has led to us. Uh, practicing our faith in a certain way. And I think when you combine rationalism with kind of this uh, gnost- uh, Gnostic kind of like internalized, personal, abstracted spirituality, um, we we tend to um, either ignore our bodies or hate our bodies. Mm. Um, and so, I've had to go outside my Christian tradition I'm not saying that this doesn't exist in the Christian tradition. I'm just saying this is my story. Uh, looking for ways to reclaim my body as a holy place mm-hmm. and as a place of um, not something I want to hate mm-hmm. or ignore, but something that is, is part of the way God communicates to me and I communicate mm-hmm. to God. is not just my brain, uh, meaning in my head, but my body. Um, and I think that that has enhanced my Christian spirituality. Something from outside of Christianity has enhanced the way that I practice my faith.
3: Yeah.
1: Can you flesh that out a little bit? No pun intended. No pun intended. But, <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> um, but like practically, what does that look like?
2: Yeah. So one of the things I practice daily is breath prayer.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, and this is tethered to like... God breathing into the nostrils of Adam, breathing, uh, you know, so there's this very rich picture of every inhale is an echo of God giving me life. And, you know, this is something that I think mindfulness meditation and other um, therapeutic, some spiritual, some non-spiritual and therapeutic practices of focusing on your breath as a way of being being sober minded fully awake coming back to being present in the moment which has a long christian tradition as well right so contemplative prayer uh, yeah. breath prayer is part of um a lot of uh church fathers and mothers and monastic practices so uh when i breathe i i actually tune into my body um that's that's one thing second thing is we train people to pay attention to kairos and and more and more i'm noticing um I'm noticing like kairoses that are not thoughts, but are, are either emotions or sensations that I perceive in my body. Yeah. Right? Um and so just like and th- that actually gives me access to what God wants to do in my life. Um so yesterday. I was feeling a mountain of anxiety, but but the way that I was feeling it, it wasn't racing. It wasn't a racing mind. Um, so it wasn't like thoughts were out of control. But it was it was this. I was noticing in in my body and in my attention, kind of this withdrawal, this this hiding, this pulling away. Like I was scared. I was really scared. But but I, um, if you had asked me are you afraid? And I would have gone through my normal diagnostics of like, you know, no, I'm not, I'm I'm not aware consciously of any fear, but my body was acting afraid. Um, so that's a concrete example of just of yesterday. I don't know. I don't know if that's, uh, if you guys can relate to that or if you've experienced something different.
4: Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that makes sense to me. Um, I think that one of the things that I keep th- coming back to in this discussion is um that in the, you know when we mentioned the anxieties that we have about um we meaning just you know in general um christian people or people of faith the anxieties we have about integrating neuroscience or you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. because we're afraid that it sort of evacuates God from the equation. Right. So maybe I'm not experiencing the joy of the Lord. Maybe there's this all just chemicals, you know, and then they're they're, they're (laughs) right. Right. right? They're in the right order. And now it's just chemicals. Um, But I was just thinking about this, you know, um, going back to Richard Beck and talking about the uh, disenchantment of the world. He talks about something called sacramental ontology, where he says that the disenchanted world, what it does is that it, it evacuates the material world from any sort of like meaning. So I mm. think that's our fear, right? Is that that's where it's going to end up is that everything can be explained by atoms smashing together and that it doesn't have any meaning. Um, but I think what, what he talks about as like a sacramental ontology, I think is, is part of what integrates these things for me hmm. is that like you're learning about like breath prayer, Matt. Yeah. It's not just that breathing is a good way for you to internally think about God. No. It's that your breathing is, that physical act is somehow participating in the reality of the spirit within you. Mm-hmm. And so there's ways that our bodies sort of like interrelate and connect to, sac- like in a sacramental way, I could say. I think I could yes. say. Our, our spirit, our soul, and our relationship with God there. And so it's not just that, you know, it's not just that, you know, the I mean, to think about the sacrament, it's not just that the bread and wine remind us of Jesus. Hmm. That there's something in a sacramental uh, theology or ontology, like there's something about participating in the eating of the bread and, and the drinking of the wine mm-hmm. that does participate in the life of Christ. Yes. Right. In a spiritual way. So it's this, you know, visible, the material sign of an invisible spiritual reality. And I think that's part of what explains some of this, the the interrelatedness of these things and why we don't need to fear, like learning something about neurology and how that can actually enhance our prayer life. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I think it was KJ Ramsey that we interviewed. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know last year and she talked about the vagus nerve right. and yeah. you know and and learning about that and and how to then tend to that and be able to like do physical things that could help calm that down mm-hmm. is significant whether that's like a cold shower or breath or yeah. you know whatever the things are grounding yourself um I don't think it's not spiritual to right. pay attention to those things and, and for those things to be part of our practice as we understand ourselves mm-hmm. and then relate to God yeah. with our whole being. yeah. Um, and so for me, I think one of the, all those things I just mentioned with KJ Ramsey are part of my life too, but I think paying attention and recognizing and naming my emotions has been a practice to be able to be honest and authentic with God about my whole being as well.
4: Yeah. Yeah. These things are not replacements for God. Mm -hmm. I think that's the fear sometimes we Mm -hmm. have is like, oh, I'm replacing prayer with, I'm just going to call my vagus nerve. These things aren't replacements for prayer. They are allowing us into a fuller participation in the spiritual realities that we're seeking in prayer. Yeah. That's That's actually what's happening. I think a lot of these
2: things. Yeah, you mentioned emotions, Christine. I know that you're doing a dissertation on, you know, does an emotional intelligence increase our perceived intimacy with God? Um and I the answer to that question is probably yes. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so far the research says. But um <laughs> but one of one of the explicit and implicit messages I picked up as a Christian was that uh, emotions were untrustworthy. Um right. feelings are uh, you know, really bad if you follow them, don't follow your feelings, right? Uh, and what can be trusted is discursive rational thought. So, yep. right? Um, but that, mm-hmm. uh, we're learning how emotions are made. There's actually a book called How Emotions Are Made. Um, yep. And we're learning that uh, every thought is created with interplay of emotions.
3: Yeah.
2: And so to to, so something else that I think we've learned in the realm of, of therapy or even neurology that has really enhanced my ability to have a livable Christian spirituality is reclaiming my emotions yeah. as a necessary and vital aspect of my being in being with God, in communion with God. Yes. Come on, preach it. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
4: Matt, that was, I just remembered the thing that I forgot earlier. That was it. That was mm-hmm. what I was going to say is that one of the things I learned in therapy, and we talked about this in the last episode, but one of the things I learned was to pay attention to how I was feeling and to learn to name my emotions, which is something that, you know, part of my survival mechanisms, I was like, I don't want to pay attention to those. Um, yeah. and, and one of the results of that has been, I think, a richer prayer life. like a greater ability for me to be with God, how I actually am instead of having this cloud of should over my relationship with God about, well, I can't say that or God wouldn't be pleased if he knew I was angry about that or that's pretty immature. If I think that right, like, like eliminating some of those filters for me, um, helped my prayer life because I was like, okay, now I'm, now I'm, now I'm learning to be with God in, in, uh, in the messy reality of, of what's happening right now. And trusting that this is, this is actually prayer for me. It's not getting my act together and showing God what I think God wants to see. It's being myself with God and that, but that wasn't something I learned initially just reading scripture, but learning that through therapy allowed me to see it in scripture everywhere. Like the, like the imprecatory Psalms make a lot more sense to me now. Um, and then it enhanced my practice
2: of prayer as well.
1: Yeah. We'll be right back.
2: The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life, so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying some new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, We go below the surface of our lives so we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. So, what questions do we still have? What, what are some lingering uh, questions you have about the relationship between uh, Jesus and therapy?
4: Yeah, I got a lot. Go ahead, Christy.
1: <laughs> I just, I was going to say, I, I was arguing, arguing in a kind way with somebody this week about what emotions did Jesus feel. Mm. And they were arguing that Jesus never felt fear.
2: Wrong. And I was
1: like, I totally disagree. <laughs> I think Jesus had tons of fear and tons of anxiety. And I was like, look at the garden. Yeah. He's sweating drops of blood. Like when you look at that medical phenomenon that happens it's not just jesus that that happened to it happened to other Mm -hmm. people when they are experiencing literal like their capillaries bursting through their pores and they're sweating drops of blood the the amount of anxiety those people are feeling is is off the charts right
3: yes and i was
1: like you can't say that he didn't i mean you can that's what this person was arguing but (laughs) i was arguing against it because it's part of my study but i i think part of my questions. I do want to understand more the emotions of Jesus and how he processed them. Mm. Um, because I think you know he fully God and fully man, yeah. what does it look like to have a full range of emotions
3: right.
1: in what what I might call like a, a kingdom emotion or something? Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes we box our emotions in. We might feel angry. And, or we might feel joy or we might feel whatever the emotion is, but we don't fully experience it, uh, you know, mm. and I, I'm curious. That's some of my yeah. questions there. What, what did Jesus feel? What were his emotions? And then how do we fully express with, with who we are? I know we're all different. Like some people are more emotional than others. That's okay. But with who we are and how we're made, what does it look like for Christy to fully experience the emotion in a kingdom way um, and live that out? And I, I don't have the answers to all that.
4: Yeah. That's good. I once heard somebody describe Jesus in the garden as that looks a lot like a panic attack. Right. Right. And that, that, that there's like, that was a new thought. I was like, oh, that's interesting to think that, you know, we would call that a panic attack today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Ben? How about some questions you have? I mean, I think one of my, you know, one of my questions is, um, I think one of my questions is like, I know you, you, uh, you have this question as well, kind of written down, but like, I used to have a lot more of a, um, um, I don't know. It felt like a simpler way of thinking about God speaking to me or God, like if God wants to like guide me or lead me in some way, I used to talk about that as like, you know, getting a word from God or I want God to speak to me. I want God to like say something to me. Right. Um, and I think the question, I still believe that it is true that that God uh, is with us and communicates and guides and leads. Um, but I find that I don't use that language very much anymore. I usually don't say uh, God is speaking to me or God spoke to me or that kind of thing. And I think what that brings up for me is the question of, I wonder how I think about that mm-hmm. an, anymore. Like, what does it? what does it mean for me to live my life in God and for God to communicate something to me, maybe like a new thought or something that I hadn't thought of before. Or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I don't know what to make of that. And I don't know if it's important to draw a line between these things or not. But I think one of the questions I have is just, you know, if I pray for guidance and I come up with an idea that I hadn't thought of before, is that, was that God? Or like, how do I think about that? I don't really know how to think about that. I think it's one of my questions. Hmm.
2: Yeah. What about you, Matt? What questions do you have? Um I mean, there's a there's a powerful metaphor in scripture about God's presence or God's spirit living in us or among us. I mean, um, that's not something that we can measure or assess with machines, right? Um, we can't quantify it with microscopes or radiation. So what, what does that mean that when I say the spirit lives in me, what am I, what am I referring to? I'm referring to the spirit, but like, how do I know? And where, how is that quant? How do, how do I quantify that? You know, that's a question I have. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think I've just grown in my appreciation for how I just met with a friend uh, for lunch and he was saying he grew up in a really conservative, traditional black church, um, and he part of his maturity was moving uh, away from the very like strict, traditional kind of religion he was raised in. And he said something to me, he said, you know, really it boils down to, I've just seen God at work in everyone I meet. Mm-hmm. And I think I have questions about um, h- how is God present and at work with people— who maybe Scripture would say doesn't have the doesn't have the Holy Spirit, yeah. um, and and how does that in distinguishing how does that dis- is how can that be distinguished from people who do have the Holy Spirit? Yeah, um, that's a that's a question I'm left with.
4: Yeah. yeah, you know, it is a fascinating question. I think I think about Cornelius right, like before he was baptized, he's like like communicating with God. <laughs> you know, a Gentile right communicating with God. That's fascinating to think. You know of how that, all, how that all works. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I am reading this book um, actually by a friend of mine who is not a, a faith follower at all. Mm-hmm. And the things that he writes in his book have been really helpful to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I told him, I was like, Bob, I really want you to love Jesus. <laughs> and he was like, I know you do. Mm-hmm. And, and there's part of me that's, like, I have a hard time, like, understanding. I, I think God is working through this man. Yeah. And yet I know he he would say, like, he doesn't have the spirit in him. He mm-hmm. doesn't love Jesus. Um, I don't know. That's hard. It's yeah. really hard.
4: Yeah. One of the more haunting, I don't know if it's haunting is the right word, but, for, you know, in First John, like, I think the implications are earth shattering to think about what it means when the apostle John says love comes from God and anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Yeah. Like that's like, Oh, is that wait? Do I really believe that? (laughs) Is that what's going on? Like, Oh
2: my (laughs) gosh. Cause like taken at face value. My goodness. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: My goodness.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah, that's good. If you have questions about that, listener, it's ben at gravityleadership.com, <laughs> ben s at gravityleadership.com. He'll get both of those. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, I think these are lingering questions for me. I think um, I think it's, it's one of the fashionable arguments against God is that, you know, God was a convenient ancient metaphor for things people didn't understand. And now that we have uh-huh. uh, more ways of understanding the human person and how it Human person flourishes. We need God less and less, and I think that that is a question I have is, um, if 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 things like therapy or science and all its disciplines, if that if that eliminates the quote need for God for some people, uh, one of the questions I have left. I'm not saying it should or shouldn't. I'm saying it does. It does. Um, then. Like what? <laughs> what do I have, or what do we have that can uh, reveal people's need for God? You know, like what? What do? What do? What can we create, or who can we be, or how can? How can we live um, in such a way that reveals the goodness and beauty of God? You know. Yeah. yeah. You know, if if it's not enough that God explains. Um, you know, the human person. Why the sun comes up. The, yeah. The if it's not, I remember. mean, if we, if we now use gravity and we know um, things like rotation and stuff like that, like if we don't need, if we don't need God for that, what do we need God for? And right. I think we need God for a lot. And um, yeah. I think what, what I see is the question is like, is my life appealing to somebody who doesn't follow Jesus? Yeah. Would they want my life? Would I wish my life on them? <laughs> yeah.
4: I think that comes back to your question, too, about what does it mean that the Spirit lives in me? Because um, hmm. that, I think, is a question for me, too. Just like, like what, does that, what does that mean to have the Spirit? What does it mean to know that you have the Spirit, to have, you know, the Spirit lives in us? And I think it's, you know, that's a metaphor for us as people, as individuals, but it's a metaphor for our church communities as well right yeah. that the spirit the spirit lives among you the spirit is at work in the in your midst um and i think that's a great question matt in, instead of feeling anxious about the fact that people don't need god to explain you know ast- astrology or something or astronomy um then like instead of feeling anxious about that well why don't we you know why don't we figure out what god's for then <laughs> a, a slightly clunky way of saying it hmm. um like what 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 would be left if all we're seeking to do is explain why the sun comes up in the east, well, that you know, sure, I don't know, don't need God for that, but what mm-hmm. what do we need God for yeah.
3: yeah
1: can i can I end with a, a story sure um, so this whole idea of like I believe God is active and present. we talk about that a lot in gravity um, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's hard to like see that. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here, even like the spirit is in me. Or if, if God is active and present in my friend who who doesn't know God, like, what does that look like? How do we, how do we, you know, I don't know, acknowledge mm-hmm. that. And a couple of weeks ago, I have this kid, I'm going to, I'm going to call her T, um, who like sits in the back of youth group and her parents make her come. And so several weeks ago, she was like. I just, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. And I'm not trying to be rude, but I don't believe one thing that you say, Chrissy. <laughs> I was like, awesome. Glad you're here, T. <laughs> and um, anyway, we we started this sexual wholeness unit. And the very first lesson that I taught, my the premise of what I was teaching was that we are all broken. And when I say we're all broken, I mean boy, girl, married, single, gay, straight, like, it does not matter. We all have sexual brokenness mm-hmm. in us. And and if we, like, we need to, instead of pointing fingers, like, what does it look like to actually look inside of us and go, ooh, where's the sexual brokenness in me? But the, the truth that we need to meditate on in the midst of doing that is that we are all beloved, boy, girl, married, single, gay, straight, whatever.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And at the end of my my lesson, I uh, asked everybody to close their eyes, and I kind of um, just prayed. And she came up to me, and she said, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure. And she's like, okay, a couple weeks ago I told you I didn't believe in God. Well, something just happened, and now I don't have words for it, and I don't know what to think. Oh, and I was no. like, tell me what happened. And she's like, well, you were praying. And she said, in my mind, I just imagined me looking in a mirror and – And as I looked in the mirror, there was two of me, one totally broken, all the crap, all the junk I've done. And I was so sad and I fell to the floor in a big old pile and started weeping. And then I looked in the mirror again and there was a second me and the second me came and hugged the first me. But she said, what was wild about this whole thing? She said, first of all, I don't really understand why I was thinking that while you're praying, but that's what I was thinking about. Mm. She said, but what was weird was in in my imagination, there was this like, White and blue, like fireball. <laughs> and she said, I don't know what God looks like, but I guess maybe that's what my imagination imagines him to look like. Oh. Because in in my picture, it was God was the one who was saying, you are beloved and you are broken. <laughs> and T didn't, like, quote, unquote, ask Jesus into her heart that day. <laughs> but there were steps of yeah the spirit being, I think being at work. I mean, some of our listeners are like, Oh my gosh, Christy, that would a what a crazy, whatever. But, but I believe that God was at work in her sure. life yeah. in, in this unexplainable way that I would never have imagined when I planned the lesson, mm-hmm. right. Or thought that this is how God might get her attention. And yeah. yet did. And now she's on this journey of like asking more questions about God. And I think all of this to say within our mental health, within our therapy, there is brokenness and and we are beloved and God is working yeah. to get our attention, <laughs> to, to show us more of who he is and who we are. And that might not look like how we think it's supposed to look. It might be different. It might be in breath work. It might be in a therapy session. It might be in, you know, I don't know. And I just mm-hmm. think because God's big and he's good and he loves us.
2: Yes. Amen. Thanks for that lesson T. Yeah. Um well, I I thought it might be nice. Thanks for I mean is that I know I know you said that was ending. Maybe we should end it there. <laughs> I was I was wondering if we couldn't maybe just as we're as we're going like name some name some people who've been helpful. The done some integrative work that's been helpful for you in marrying sort of the therapeutic and the and the mm-hmm. spiritual. Mm-hmm. Ben, you you mentioned somebody earlier.
4: Yeah, was it Kurt Thompson?
2: I think you mentioned Kurt Thompson. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. He's been fan. helpful.
4: Yeah, he's great. He's been on our mm-hmm. podcast. You can look up, uh, look him up on back episodes. Um, mm-hmm. He's a wonderful uh, person as well. It's always lovely to meet. I don't know, just people who are like good people who are really yes. smart and know a lot. Yes. But I think he's done a lot of work, like the Soul of Shame, um, the Soul of Desire. It it is good integrative work where he's like a you know, a therapist who's also a person of faith who really thinks deeply about the theology of therapy or, you know, I don't know if he'd say that, but like he's thinking, he's thinking about mental health categories with theological categories and helping us draw them together in a way that is very uh, compelling and helpful. So I'd recommend uh, his books and the podcast episode that we did with him.
2: Yeah. Anatomy of the soul is his first one oh, and it does right, a yeah. lot of this, uh, the, the groundwork for the soul shame and the soul desire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about for you, Christy?
1: Yeah. I'm a big KJ Ramsey fan. I mentioned mm. her before, but I think being a trauma therapist and, and going through trauma herself as she uh, talks in, in honesty and authenticity about her own story and understands the body, um, there's some real wisdom that she writes in her books, so I really yeah. like her. Um, so, and then the other book that kind of stuck out to me was um, Lance Witt. I think his name is. I'm gonna have to check. I'll put the, it. We can put in the notes. But I read a book. I think it's called Replenish. That was actually just really refreshing um, to me. The questions that he asks at the end of each chapter um, were really helpful, as I just became more and more honest about my own humanity and in leadership, what does it look like to acknowledge emotions and brokenness and all that kind of stuff. So those are two that stick out. What about you, Matt?
2: Well, in addition to the people you've mentioned, um, I would say probably the two, well, yeah, two of the ones that have been really helpful to me. Uh, one is David Benner who wrote, um, books like Surrender to Love, Opening to God, The Gift of Being Yourself, Desiring God's Will. Uh, He's a, I think, a clinical psychiatrist and um, a Christian theologian, and he's really good. His book, Surrender to Love, is one of the, I don't know, 10 most important Christian books I've ever read. Mm -hmm. Um, It gave words, I think, to a lot of what uh, Gravity's about. So, David Benner's one, and then there, uh, this this guy lived, this guy is no longer alive in wrote in the in the nineties but uh eighties and nineties, but his name is Gerald May. And he wrote some books on he was a psychologist and a Christian and he wrote some books like Addiction and Grace, The Awakened Heart, Will and Spirit, where he's seeking to integrate uh his clinical psychology with Christian um theology. So great. those those two have been really helpful for me. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this has, been, uh, this has been nice. Yeah. Love, love this
4: conversation. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Listeners, thanks for uh, spending some time with us. And if you yeah. have additional thoughts or questions um, for maybe when we pick this series back up in the future, uh, you can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. We'd love to chat with you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Christy, one final question What did the farmer say when he lost his tractor?
1: I don't know what did the farmer say when he lost his tractor.
4: Oh
1: where's my tractor? <laughs>
4: <laughs> <What>? So dumb.
1: <laughs> oh, you need to work on those maps. That's like
4: the whale that's like the whale joke. <laughs> right. It's just like, right. oh, that's it's not a punchline, it's just what you would expect. Just yeah.
1: yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys. All right, yeah. listeners. Well there you have it. It's Hopefully
2: the anti joke. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, uh, it's a good gosh. category of joke. So, all right. All right, y'all. See you, later. See you next time. Peace. Peace.
4: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it.
1: Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.
2: Joining our Gravity community is free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join.
4: Our show is produced by Ben Sternkey and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the podcast, and you can check out his work at aaronsternke.com.
1: We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start record button.
2: You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.